Welcome back to The Hot Dish. This is Senator Heidi Heitkamp, and I'm joined with my co-founder, uh, Senator Joe Donnelly. Um, Joe Donnelly and I, when uh, just a funny story, when we were elected in 12, we formed a club. It was the We're Not Supposed to Be Here Club because no one expected that we were going to win. Um, who was the head of that club? As Joe? a matter of fact, uh, Heidi Heitkamp was, and I said, it tells you what a bad candidate and politician I could be at times in that you and I were the only ones in the club. You were elected president by a vote of two to nothing. So that meant I didn't even vote for myself. <laughs> Isn't that great? But I mean, um, you know, you had, did such a great job representing Indiana. Joe and I... Um, uh, Talk about the privilege of a lifetime, right? Just the same oh, way you felt representing the people of North Dakota. But we actually were able to get some things oh. done um, when you look at, you know, what we did with Dodd-Frank uh, reform. I think of the right to try legislation. Yeah. That there's people all over this country right now who have access to life-saving medications who wouldn't have had that access if you and I weren't there? Yeah, well, you, 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 uh, Joe led with his heart, um, completed with his brain, and got things done for Indiana, and it's a tragedy. And, and the same I think that you're with not you for there. North Dakota. Yeah, I know, yeah. but we're good. I have a picture of Joe in a B-52 bomber. That'll be one of my treasured. Uh, uh, and the it, reason you're still alive is I was not the pilot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thanks, Joe, so much for joining us Thank on you the very Hot much. Dish. Joe and I are thrilled, absolutely thrilled, to be joined by yet another board member, um, one of our newest, um, Anthony uh, Daniels, who is uh, a state representative. In fact, he's the minority leader in the Alabama House of Representatives and a bright and rising young star in the Democratic Party. Thank you so much for joining us, Anthony. Um, we, we've been taking these uh, Hot Dish podcasts as an opportunity to introduce um, to the listening audience audience, some bright new stars, some great uh, thinkers in the Democratic Party. And uh, one of the things that I'm really excited about, I just spent some time with J.D., um, is I don't think that the answers for rural America are with 40 or, or 63-year-old people, which is me and Joe. I think the answers are with that younger generation who remains committed to doing everything that they can to expand opportunities. And, and I think that voice that you're going to bring to our One Country Project is absolutely critical. So welcome aboard. Um, I'm going to let you introduce yourself because I'm sure I would go on and on and then you wouldn't have a chance to talk because I'm so impressed with your credentials and what you been doing for the state of Alabama. Well, thank you, Heidi. Thank you for having me. And I think that this is uh, certainly a needed voice uh, for One Country Project being a voice for all of America and really just pointing out to the listeners that uh, the issues that may impact rural America, it also impacts all of America. And so thank you for taking on this task and, and really bringing a voice to um, rural America and, and making certain that they're not forgotten as we make this policy decisions as lawmakers, not just from a state legislative perspective, but from also from a uh, federal perspective as well. So thank yeah. you for that. So tell us a little bit. You're a teacher by profession, um, which is uh, one of the great, great things that happens in America. We have bright young people who help educate our kids and then move on to leadership in other areas. But tell us a little bit about um, how you got involved in politics and why you got involved in politics and what you hope for the great state of Alabama. 
Well, thank you. Uh, so my, my journey was a really a non-traditional journey. Um, a lot of folks asked me, did I have a background in political science? And I said, no, that's not a prerequisite for running for public <laughs> office. Um, so starting out, um, you know, as, as a young person. In fact, it may person, be a bonus in not running for <laughs> office. Yeah, because it helps, you know, being a being a third grade teacher really helps me in the legislature. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I will say that, you know, my my beginnings, I come from very humble beginnings, raised primarily by my grandparents in a uh, small community, a rural community in Bullock County. Um, and, you know, it one of the things that I learned growing up, um, you know, the foundation was laid for me. And, and really, my, my grandparents focused a lot on faith and, you know, going to church and, and working hard. And, and so that's kind of how I got my work ethic uh, is, is, is from my upbringing. Um, but you know, I thought, like many Americans and many young people, uh, I thought that athletics was my ticket out of my community in order to get back to my community. Um, but, you know, having a, an injury, a sports injury, uh, in high school where I tore my ACL, I had to have a backup plan. And so education uh, should have been my primary plan, but it was <laughs> it was actually my backup plan and, and when you're an athlete. And so um, that's what kind of sparked my interest in education is, you know, what is it that I could do? Now I can't, you know, I'm not able to be a, become a professional athlete to get give back to my community, but what is it that I could do to give back to my community uh, that doesn't require me to be extremely wealthy to do so? And that's when I decided to major in elementary education. And so I went to Alabama A&M University in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, and major in elementary education. I have a uh, bachelor's in elementary education, a master's in special education. Um, I got my start uh, being involved in student organiza- uh, student organization on campus, the Student Alabama Education Association, which is an affiliate of the NEA. And so it's all te- students that are training to become teachers. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up becoming state president for the Student Alabama Education Association. And then I became the national chairman of the National Education Association student program, wow. where I was I had a um, I was able to speak out of a megaphone and talk about issues that impact young people going into public service careers like teaching and and so uh, it was personal to me having fifty eight thousand dollars in student loan debt at the time I decided to take on the uh, student loan forgiveness um, uh, as an issue and so what. On partnering with uh, then Senator Ted Kennedy's office and and in the uh, Speaker Pelosi's office in the Bush administration, uh, being a voice for uh, college affordability, uh, brought about the College Cost and Reduction Act that passed in 2007, a year and a half into my term so, in leadership. So he had an absolute um, win, if we can Absolutely. put it that way. You saw the effect that a public policy could have directly on a human being's life, whether it's the children that you teach and making sure that um, we have educational opportunities for them because we put the best teachers in the classroom, which we can't do if they're worried about going to sell insurance at night so that they can afford to put food on the table. And so good for you. What a, what an amazing story. But, it, but also, I'm sure, made you realize that you had incredible ability to change things um, if you had a desire and and the no the, the wherewithal to um, build leadership in those circles. Yeah, that experience really uh, set the groundwork for me, and and, and so. Um, you know, after my term, I ended up going in, in, into teaching. I left uh, after my term ended. I, re- I returned back to Alabama. I taught third grade in a public magnet school, fourth grade in a Title I school, and then I taught on an Indian reservation between Albuquerque and Santa Fe, New Mexico.
Mexico. Um, but what I understood of being um, an, an educator, that I was making a difference in the life of, of, of one child at a time or maybe uh, 10 or 12 over the lifetime of my teaching career. But I felt that thinking back to my days in, 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 in D.C. in advocacy, I felt that, you know, I could make a, a greater impact by going into policy and politics. And so that's when I decided to to run for the Alabama State House in 2014. And in the middle of my term in 2014, uh, in 2017, in the in the middle of my four-year term, I was elected House Minority Leader. And so it was very, a uh, very unique opportunity for me to really elevate my voice and speak out of a megaphone uh, once again, but within my state and within the communities that, the communities that I was brought up in, in a rural community, but also the community that I represent today, which is more urban um, and, 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 and are doing well. Um, but it didn't allow me to forget my, my rural roots. And so mm-hmm. that's why I just I just feel very fortunate. So tell me a little bit about how you're trying to bring the message. Think about one country, but you've been already doing this in Alabama. So that's why we were so excited to welcome you to um, the board, because, you know, we're, what we're trying to do on a national scale, you're already investing in and doing on the local level in Alabama. Talk a little bit about your activism, um, outreach to rural communities, and, and how we, instead of just one country, how you're trying to create one Alabama um, in the work that you do. Absolutely. I think that for me, many of the many of my colleagues in the House of Representatives are uh, represent rural communities. And so in merging rural and urban community issues that where there's tremendous overlap and issues like health care, um, we've experienced 13 hospital closings in Alabama wow. within the last eight years uh, in rural areas. Uh, we also were experiencing more difficulty of, of folks having access to health care. We're one of the few states that decided not to expand Medicaid, which puts 320,000 people that will be eligible for health care that, that's out there right now without health care. And so, you know, those are the type of issues that, you know, we talk about each and every day. Uh, our caucus decided to go on a listening tour last year. And so we went in rural and urban areas to do a listening tour to hear about the concerns that, of the citizens within uh, around the state of Alabama. And there is a lot of commonality there. Yeah, what uh, was the reaction when you went to rural areas? Because I can imagine your caucus doesn't always look like the areas that you went to in rural Alabama. Absolutely. In fact, the caucus had not done a lot of uh, town hall meetings or never they've never done a listening session in general. Um, but what we found is that a lot of folks that are excited and saying uh, that, you know, uh, we've never had politicians to come into our area and listen to us. They right. come to us and they talk about what they're for and what they want to do, but they never really listen to the people that are on the ground. And so they are very appreciative and, and, and supportive of that. And so we were able to drill down on some very important issues. And, and what I found is uh, that health care was the number one issue in these rural areas and education was number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're beginning to see the experience high, uh, you know, dropout rates uh, in, um, in, in their areas. The opioid crisis is really impacting their communities. Uh, not having access to health care uh, prevents them from being able to attract industry into the area. And so it really kills their entire town. And it's really have One of the studies that was recently done was taking a look at rural educational attainment, not not based on race or anything else, but just your zip code and whether you went on to college or whether you were prepared for college. And so it doesn't surprise me that what you found was this disparity um, between, you know, educational opportunities where you took, like you said, you taught in a in a Title I school. Well, there's no such thing as a Title I school in rural Alabama or rural North Dakota. It's just one school, right? Right. 
So this idea for specialty education is really difficult. It's difficult to provide, and it is absolutely critical to making sure that the rural communities are prepared for the 21st century um, uh, economy, and that's what you're doing out there. And, and some of the things, some of the pieces of legislation that I've carried has contributed to helping uh, really help rural areas in, in, in a lot of different ways. Uh, economic development-wise, uh, passed a 21st century TIF, which allow industry to be able to come into an area or to a site and be provided incentives that goes beyond utilities and sidewalks, but also a facility match. And so we're, we're beginning to look and explore those items. And, and, and the other thing is uh, starting a cybersecurity and engineering high school in, in, uh, that borders my district to allow um, students from these rural communities to be able to test and get accepted into this specialized high school where they will be there during the year and during the week and they can go home on the weekend. And so we're, we're just doing smaller things to, to try to uh, diversify that, that rural economy. A lot of times we, we look at rural as being manufacturing or textile industry, but that's no more. And so what we have to do is make investments on workforce development, uh, even in the, in, in the uh, primary grade levels of, 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 you know, whether it's coding or, or, or whatever. So if you have a, an industry that moves into an area, you have an already trained workforce from the K-12 perspective and for those displaced workers on how to work and, and deal with advanced manufacturing and, 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 and deal with the technology. Did, you know what I love about you is that sometimes, and I think why people are cynical about people who serve in public life or what we call politicians, is what they hear is I, 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 you know, and, and they lead with, you know, kind of all of the, when when you get excited, when your voice increases, is when you're talking about a great idea, when you're talking about an innovation that you want to bring to your community. And this is why we're talking about one country, which is let's lead with ideas. Let's let's be honest about the, the state of affairs in rural America. Let's be honest about what rural Americans want, but let's be innovative and get excited about those ideas because when you lead with enthusiasm in politics, you're unstoppable, in my opinion. You have the best idea in the world, but if all you talk about is blah, 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 you'll never get it done. And you are doing amazing things, and we are so incredibly grateful that you've um, joined with us. So I want, I want you to talk a little bit about, um, you know, kind of... Uh, 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 politics. You know, these are great ideas, and 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 you know, I'm I'm I I think that that's why you've been successful is you've led with the idea, not with the political ramifications of the idea. But yet, it is critically important that we get more diversity in uh, political uh, representation in rural America. And this is this is something that some people disagree with. But if you look at you know the African American community, you know, reliable Democratic voters, but Democrats need to respond to the concerns of African-American voters. They can't take them for granted. And when when you're, you're taken for granted, your voice isn't heard. And I think right now in rural America, Republicans are taking that rural vote for granted. And I think as a result, we're seeing things like capitulation on a trade policy that's not working for us. You know, the president trying to take away Medicaid expansion, which has saved rural hospitals in my state and cost you rural hospitals by not doing it. And so we need to talk about why those 
policies fail, but we also need rural voters to understand that that in order for them to have political clout, they need to be open-minded about, about um, their voting patterns. Yes, absolutely. And we have to do a better job. And I think that's where one country comes in is being able to, uh, you know, go into these communities and talk about issues that are impacting them. Uh, oftentimes, we, we talk above everyone else. And we only appeal to a base of people that we think that we know they're going to vote that are going to vote for us regardless. But we don't we don't we've taken for granted that rule that rule vote. And so you're right, we have to start talking about issues that impact rural communities. We're we as a, as a party, we've been better for rural America than the the other side. But the other side has played a played a tremendous defense in really distracting and deflecting uh, the from the real issues. And yeah. so what we have to do is we have to stay the course and be on playing offense, more offense on our messaging about health care, you know, about education, about ways to improve their livelihood and how do we make their situation better, not just giving away, you know, just talking about, you know, unrealistic policies that we're never going to be able to accomplish. Let's be a realistic. You know, yeah. you know, whenever until a person and to more people uh, that are the voices of our party start signing paychecks in the, on the front and not the back, yeah. then we're going to start. Then we'll be able to move <laughs> and start talking about issues that impact each um, the household. Can, can I steal that line? Absolutely. Did you did you invent that line? That's a great line. And you know, the one thing that I've talked about um, many times is that you can't um, want employment and hate employers. You've got to be spending time talking to those small businesses, which are really at the heart of rural America. And people don't understand how much manufacturing goes on, light manufacturing, um, how much uh, service industry, how much mail order industry is out there. And we've got to provide those supports, whether it's the post office, which, you know, people always laugh at me because I am the queen of trying to preserve rural postal service, um, you know, which is actually a major issue in rural America. But if you don't live there, you don't know. And if you aren't doing listening tours there, you don't know. And so I think um, we've got a lot of work to do in in um, driving this message forward, a message of hope and opportunity for rural America. We can all... Um, we can all succeed in this country, but if all we're doing is measuring our success by macroeconomic numbers that are being driven by growth in, in urban areas, we're leaving behind a whole lot of talent and a whole lot of opportunity for folks. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, the other thing for, for me, um, and, and which is exciting about being a part of uh, one country, is the emphasis on rural America and, and making certain that we're not leaving their voices behind, but also providing solutions. Yeah. Uh, because at the end of the day, that's what it's about. How do we bring solutions to the table? We can talk about what's not happening, but finding a, a way and a path forward for uh, people that are in those communities. You know, talking about the impact that tariffs have on our farmers or, or the automobile industry in Alabama and, and the farm industry and soybean well, And prices. here's a great example. You know what's a great market for rice in Alabama? It's Cuba. But the president's cut off the Cuban market. And so, you know, they used to buy rice from Cuba and from Georgia and from the South. Guess what? They buy it from Vietnam now. I mean, you know, so you might say, what... Why? And you say because we're, we're living in a world where farmers are collateral damage in a, in a trade war and a geopolitical wars, and that really we can't use food as a weapon. And, and so that's my editorial comment. But I would be remiss because a lot of people, knowing now that you're from Alabama, um, would be curious about whether you ever see Alabama coming around. I mean, if, if you think that I always remind people. 
and people think of the South, like Alabama and Mississippi and, and uh, um, uh, Louisiana. I knew I was going to get there moving across. Um, Louisiana, they always say, well, those states, you know, they're gone forever. And I go, Donald Trump won North Dakota by 36 points. We gave him the fourth highest percentage. Of guess who isn't above us? Alabama. And so Alabama, what it was a plus 20 some state, right? So um, how do you see kind of uh, Alabama in the next 20 years? If you were, if you were going to write the future of Alabama politically in the next 20 years for the Democratic Party, how do you get from there to your vision of what Alabama could be? I think it's very it's very simple. Um, right now, um, Alabama has only experienced probably a, in the last ten years probably a population growth of a hundred thousand. Is that um, right? That's it. And so what what you've seen is a lot of folks uh, and families are moving from these rural areas to other states for better opportunity because uh, we didn't expand Medicaid or provide more opportunity. And so a lot of our um, areas like Huntsville, Alabama, is growing. Uh, we are expected to be the largest city in Alabama in the next six years. It's because of the high tech and in, in, in industry. University. And so you're seeing the demographic shift from the Northeast and, and where individuals with the, the jobs that we're providing are require some form of uh, education. And so therefore, we're we're beginning to uh, get more people that are more open-minded and open to uh, voting for the person versus the party. And so I think, and then the other thing is issues. Uh, oftentimes, we, as you indicated, uh, we've, we've been not been on point uh, as a party with addressing issues that impact uh, minority communities. And so one of the issues that we found that uh, move the needle in minority communities has been criminal justice reform. Mm -hmm. And so having a, a realistic conversation about criminal justice reform motivate those voters to vote. There are 411,000 African Americans that voted in the midterms, right? That's 53.7% of the registered population of African Americans. But there's also 47% of, of African Americans that did not vote. And so when we start talking about issues that impact those communities, we'll start to see an increase. And then the other thing is in some of our um, some of the communities uh, that are not um, of ethnic minority, uh, we're beginning to see an increase in Democratic performance there in, in places like Huntsville. Huntsville voted, I think, 36 percent for Trump, I mean, for uh, Hillary uh, in 16. But in a governor's race where the gubernatorial candidate didn't have anyone on the ground in Huntsville in the Madison County area, he got like 47 percent. Wow. And so you're starting and, and, and Senator Doug Jones won Madison County. And so you're starting to see that that. The, the demographics change in a Huntsville, Alabama with more educated uh, voters and sophisticated voters that are moving from these pockets that have been traditionally Democratic strongholds. And then you're seeing the, the population in rural and a lot of the rural areas, um, you know, the family, the children are not moving back. And so you'll start to see uh, places like Alabama becoming the new Georgia or North Carolina. Well, and I think one of the, the one of the demographic trends for the Democratic Party in all of this is younger people either are unaffiliated or they tend to affiliate with the policies that are Democratic policy uh, uh, initiatives. And so, you know, I, I just want to put on the map that everybody focuses on Georgia, right? Georgia is the next kind of swing uh, state after Colorado turned and we're seeing Arizona. You know, people look at opportunity for the Democratic map to expand. They look at Georgia and um, and uh, Arizona and people just write off Arizona or write off Alabama the same way they write off North Dakota. And I wanted people to understand that 
there is a changing dynamic and there's a new leadership represented by you and I'm sure many of your colleagues who are fighting for a better future and fighting for a, um, a future of greater opportunity for everyone in the state of Alabama. And one fact um, I want to remind folks of, before 2010, Alabama had supermajority in the House and they had a majority in the state Senate and three constitutional offices. And so it was only nine years ago that Democrats were in control in Alabama. And so I think that it's easy to really get back to those voters, especially in, in these rural areas. And, and I think that, you know, having uh, organizations like One Country uh, to really help us message and communicate instead of following more of a national democratic platform, which is not a winner in a place like Alabama, but really having uh, the, the details and, and the plan on how we're going to make folks lives better. And, and I think that that's what One Country brings, brings to the table. And I think it'll help uh, a lot of other states um, do the same thing. Well, we, we couldn't be happier to have you on board. I think your voice is so critical because I think everybody has written the South off the way they've written the Great Plains off. And we're going to make sure that we stay on the map and that we stay on task and that we uh, help lead the Democratic Party towards a party of victory by being more inclusive to include all of us who uh, continue to fight as Democrats for the futures of our state. Thanks so much for joining us for episode three of The Hot Dish. Please follow us on Twitter at underscore one country underscore or follow us on uh, the internet at one country project, all one word, dot org.